going to the range is fun and it's social. Going to a class is fun and social. Learning to carry a gun is something that you do by yourself in, in frustrating solitude. And that's one of the reasons that it's always been difficult, yeah. right? You're left to spend money and struggle by yourself to kind of like figure out how to carry a gun. There's never been like a, a, a really helpful community at this scale where you can learn those skills quickly. But the only way that's going to be helpful is that if, if people feel okay being as vulnerable as they need to in order to learn. So today we actually have a really cool show. We're talking to John from Philster. He's uh, the owner, CEO, co-owner. I think him and his wife both own it. And I'm, I'm excited because I actually have a few Philster products myself. Um, and the questions that I have regarding the brand overall, how they view the brand, you know, what it looks like going forward. A little bit of background. He did a, a video the other day saying like he's, considers what he has a holster technology company. That's something that we I definitely want to look at, you know, ask him directly like, Hey, what is it about your company? That's technically pushing technology forward. And why don't you want to be known as a holster company? John, welcome to the show. Oh, Oh, there we go. Yeah. And welcome to Costa conversations. How, how are you? How are you? How was yeah. your Sunday? Good. How about you? It's yeah, it is good. Sunday, isn't it? They all kind of run together after a little while. <laughs> no, they but they but they really do. Good. So, John, question of the day. Philster question the, the holster day. technology company. What does that mean? So Okay, let's get into this. Um I break it down kind of like this uh, in terms of it, it's more of an idea about um, business model and uh, vision for the future. So sure. one of the things that I see that I've seen happen a lot um, over the past, you know, I've been doing this for over a decade and I s took a look at the companies that existed at the time that I started off and I looked at kind of how a lot of these companies go over time and a <clears throat> holster company focuses on making things to fit guns that attach to your clothing right that's pretty pretty straightforward and there's a focus on existing you know capturing um or or, or, or using existing technologies and then plugging as many different fits as possible into that right um, so what you see it happen a lot is that a, a company who's been around for a long time never really obsoletes anything out. They have a ever growing number of different holster models that they make. And then their plan is to make those for every single gun that they can. And that's, that's fine if your model happens to work that way. Um, the issue becomes whenever you want to innovate something, you either need to add an entirely new line of holsters, which 
to some degree will compete or compete with or cannibalize the existing models of holster that you already make. And then you have to then proceed to essentially trap yourself in the ever-growing number of gun fits that you make for that particular model. So there are holster companies out there that make, that they've got like 3,000 SKUs in their catalog, right? Wow. One of the things that, that, I, that I looked at um, fairly, fairly early on was that if you ever, if you, if you want to make quick changes, if you want to evolve a product or develop a new technology, um, one of the things that you, that you run into is that every single fit of any given model of holster costs exactly the same to produce. So a Glock 19 holster costs exactly the same to develop, manufacture, and put on the shelf as a model of holster that you will sell one of every year, right? And after the top four or five, maybe six top selling models of firearm, the demand drops off a cliff, like steep. You know, there's like uh, Glock and Sig P365 at the absolute top. And then third place is a distant third. And then fourth place is a distant fourth from third and so on and so forth. So once you get into, you know, really specific stuff or, or, or lower selling items, anytime that you want to revise your um, selection of holster fits, you kind of have to start with the top few and then kind of feed the, 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 the rest back in but what happens if you don't bother feeding the rest back in right you can just keep iterating and so uh there's a interesting thing if you go back and you you can look it up on on youtube so uh steve jobs gives a really great little talk at one of those um uh, like mac world conferences or whatever and it's when he came back to apple after uh, some period of the 90s when he had been away and he came back and like apple was selling everything they had you know like uh, accessories for the computers and they had the, you know, Palm notebook or whatever, or the little Palm pilot. And they had all, all this stuff that like, wasn't doing really well. And he said, you have Shout to simplify Palm pilot. <laughs> and, right. Uh, um, and also like, you can see this happen all the time. Like if you ever watch, um, like kitchen nightmares or bar rescue mm-hmm. as, as shows like that, you know, Gordon Ramsay comes in, he looks at like the three page menu that the, that the, business has and says, no, it's going to be a one page menu. You're going to make five things and they're all going to be awesome. And that's what your restaurant's going to be known for. And you're not, you know, the more choices you have, right. And, and it works every single time. And, and jobs came back to Apple and he said, okay, we're going to simplify this. We're going to have professional grade and consumer grade products. And there we're going to offer them in mobile and desktop. So we're just going to have four products that exist in this, you know, for product matrix. And what that also allows you to do is clearly imagine customer personas that fit into your product categories, right? So when you're developing products and you're developing a brand, you have to think about the customer. You imagine who this is for and you flesh that out as best as you can and you look at where they fit in your offerings or you develop an offering for them. And the more variety you have, 
the less clarity you have as a brand about who those products are for, and then the less clarity the customer has about what they want to buy. So you have to keep your offerings simple and straightforward. And um, you have to use that simplicity as a springboard for development. So you're never too tied down or over-invested or, or hampered by the variety that you offer. So people know what okay. they're getting, you know who your customers are, and then you can develop rapidly. And since we're not focused on making X model of holster for a hundred different guns, and instead we're focused on how are we going to develop new concealment technologies? What can we do to the holster to improve the interface between the holster and the body in such a way that this whole thing evolves more like a prosthetic than just slapping a gun on your clothing, right? How can we develop systems that provide better concealment? Um, instead of like, okay, well, we've got one really good holster that we're happy with and we're going to offer it for everything under the sun. And I think that makes us more of a technology-oriented company than a holster-oriented company. Yeah. Yeah, well, thank you, John, for, for explaining that. I know this, we kind of just jumped right into it. No, that's um, fine. And no, we get, 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 heavy, get heavy fast. Right, that's, that's what we do, keep it costly. But yeah. here's, here's the... Here's the thing when you when you're saying all that my wheel starts spinning as a as a creative and a, a creator of something and I'm like yeah no every book on business and marketing that I've ever read or listened to basically said exactly what you're saying is you know understand what you do understand how to offer it understand how to present it and do that really really well and then make a product that people can actually appreciate and don't confuse the heck out of them Right exactly I mean I think if you've got 3000 SKUs it becomes really difficult to identify the unique uh, selling proposition of, of the company. Yeah. Right. It's like, we make something for everybody. O okay. What do you make for me? Something. Right. Like, right? Why am but I coming that's, to you? that's not because everyone makes something right? for everybody, you know, like you're not the only one well, making holsters. I mean, right. Exactly. And, and what's, what's uniquely compelling about the holster itself. What's uniquely compelling about this product category is the, is what's uniquely compelling about it that it is, available for $45 for every obscure gun that you have. I mean, there's a market for that, but I, that's, that is a business model that people have success with. It's not our business model and it's not what we find interesting about this. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you want to be the apple of the holster space, which is a huge <laughs> mountain to climb, but also yeah. is it though? Because the reality is, I'm looking around in the holster space and I don't know that there's one company making holsters period that is really exciting except for Philston. I don't, I'm not saying that just to butter you up. I don't have any incentive to say that. Um, but I'm just like, man, like I look around and I see guys who make holsters, you know, rain city and gray man and a lot of, you know, mid-level holster guys who are moving product, but they don't really have the time or the energy to literally create a new type of holster. Like that's just not what they are set up to do. They can make holsters. Their holsters are going to be great. They're going to be beautiful, but they're not making new types. For sure. I mean, there's, there's absolutely, well, you incur a, a lot of additional costs when it comes to making something brand new, yeah. right? You have to do an enormous amount of customer education 
So first, first of all, you have to be able to sort of predict the market to a certain degree, or at least so. So what 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 we do is, especially after the kind of um, shocking turn of events with the um, with the Enigma, the um, the system that we produce that uh, allows you to wear a gun completely under your clothing uh, with no clips or anything showing. Um, so if you've, if you've read a bunch of business books, you kind of know about um, uh, minimum viable product and minimum viable segment, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, what, do, what does this product need to be in order for it to be um, functional, effective, safe, useful, and provide value to the customer at an absolute minimum? Because you're never going to get, you know, you, you could have never made an, uh, an iPhone 10 back in 2006, right? You had to make the iPhone one. <laughs> you have to make w what you can when you can make it at the time, right? And then you also have to identify the minimum viable customer or market segment that your product fits into. And we thought we had made a pretty hardcore piece of equipment for a pretty narrow slice of um, customer segment. And the the product broke out of the what like almost instantly broke out of what we thought was going to be the minimum viable segment in a matter of months. And we had to do an enormous amount of customer education because uh, the 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 rest of the 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 market looked at it and said, I want those capabilities. But we had designed the, the, the minimum viable product around an expected experience level that the minimum viable segment was going to have. So right? who, did, who we, did you make we, it we, for? Because it, it is somewhat niche, made, at least when it started. I remember when you first dropped it and, and you put those ads out and you're out there in basketball shorts. And I was like, dang, he really did draw and shoot that thing really fast. Um, is he right. so, not Mexican, Kerry? <laughs> our... The customer that we initially imagined this for was going to be somebody who had five to ten years of concealed carry experience, either as a civilian or a professional, took a minimum of, of two classes a year from um, nationally recognized instructors and already had a collection of holsters, including ours and the holsters made by our peers, companies like Dark Star Gear, Henry Holsters, Raven, and so on and so forth. And that was who we imagined this product was for and we made it so that they could go into the collection of holsters that they had purchased from all of the top brands slap their holster on the original enigma and go to work with it and they kind of we assumed a lot of um experiential knowledge in that customer segment and we sold through that segment immediately so we had to then pivot and go okay there are a lot of people who i who identify with that capability and desire it, but they're missing the five to 10 years of experience that we expected that customer to have. How do we immediately transmit five to 10 years of knowledge to someone who might not even have their carry permit yet, right? And so that that changed a lot of the ways um, <clears throat> that we do things. So we've started to focus a lot on education and to bring this all the way back around, um, when you're developing a lot of new things, you incur a certain number of costs that don't exist if you are continually producing the same thing, right? Mm -hmm. uh, that cost being 
customer education, and also planning forward. The, the lesson that we learned about the Enigma was that we need to plan forward much further in advance for when we want to do something new. That is to say, if we can, if we know that we have an idea for a product that we want to release 12, 18 months in the future, we need to start doing the education about that immediately in order to ensure that the um, market space knows to want it and how to use it in advance. Right. So one of the things that we did with the with the floodlight, too, was that we spent a lot of time talking about how there's really no reason that holsters need to be shaped on the outside the way they are on the inside, that we should take a much more organic approach to the to these kinds of things. And we had habituated a lot of our existing customers and a lot of potential new customers to the way that we think about this so that when we come out with something weird looking and brand new, it makes sense to people at the time that it comes out, right? We have, you have to yeah. kind of like do, do a lot of groundwork before you, you launch something, even if you don't talk about exactly what that thing is going to be. Yeah, that actually, so, that actually I mean, makes a lot of sense though. Cause if you, I know you guys have invested, it seems heavily into the education segment from, I believe, I believe your wife makes some of the, some of the videos and she does a fantastic yeah. job. Like I didn't know Phil still made YouTube videos until she jumped in, and I was like, "Yo, like she is like probably the best YouTuber I've seen in regards to like just delivery. It's amazing. I don't know where oh, she got she's on the ball. She's completely on the ball. That's um, great. So actually, actually, Sarah was uh, when we met. Uh, she was an X-ray tech, and she had a. Um, drone photography and videography business on the side that's so cool just as a hobby yeah wild and um during the pandemic before the pandemic we were developing the enigma and she was helping me do a lot of product photography and videography and anytime we used anything that she did for our brand there was like an instantaneous obvious roi there and mm -hmm. i'm like okay you're going to have to cut. You, you got to work here full time. Like forget that x-ray tech stuff. She's like, well, she's, I, don't, I don't know. It's so stable. And, and, and this is a risk. And let's um, go take some risk. Good. Well, what happened was that the pandemic kicked off and it made working at a hospital absolutely atrocious. Mm. And we were getting really close to launching the Enigma. And we're, we said, okay, you know, if this, if this does well, come, come work at Filster full time. And she got out of working at the hospital just in time for it to just ruin the healthcare industry. Yeah. And that, that product did well enough that she came on full time. And now all she does is produce YouTube content for us. And also yeah. um, Tessa from armed, armed and styled we hired uh, to help do this full time as well. And, and she's, she's really, really the too. one who I imagined when you spoke of the education piece, not because you know, one is, one is different or anything like that, but because, she, I swore, was an independent creator and then came on and started yep. doing almost exclusively from, from the videos that pop up in my feed from her are Enigma-based. And you know, part of it, you know, just my gripes as, as somebody who consumes content and creates it, I'm like, man, now that she's on payroll, it's like, can she say anything bad? But also, her presentation style is just so amazing that you're just like, well, whatever. I mean, she could be lying through her teeth. I'm here for it. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Well... What she's 
her, she's incredible. Tessa is incredibly good at taking the stuff that 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 we talk about that we take for granted and talk about it at like a. <clears throat> I I unfortunately have people tell me that I talk over a lot of people's heads and I understand that and I do my absolute best to kind of like not do that. But Tessa is really good at taking the things that we talk about at a, at a high level and distilling them down into really digestible, useful bites of information yeah. that allow people to uptake the information really, really well. And her, presenta- her presentation style is really good. And one of the reasons that we picked her wasn't because she was like a fangirl or anything, but because she, we saw her going to classes and overhearing a lot of these conversations and participating in these conversations and taking the information that was spoken about at a high level in these conversations and then turning them into really digestible deliverables on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And we realized that she was serious about it, had principles behind how she came to all of her decisions. And we like, we need her in, in the organization. That's fair enough. And that, that makes a lot of sense as, as somebody who's had to build teams for video production and getting stuff done on, on things that really don't show up here. They show up in other places. I understand the value of picking literally the best person for the job, regardless if, you know, it's a perfect fit. It's an, I, I love everything you do. I don't, I don't have to love everything you do. Are you really the best person for this job? Yes. No. Right. Let's get it. Like, let's go to work. So. Right. No, that's, that's awesome. Like, I'm so glad you found those two, your wife and um, Tessa. That's just great. Oh yeah. They're super valuable. And it's like the, the, the baseline understanding of the principles is, is really great. The ability to work independently is, is fantastic. You know, um, all that stuff goes a, a really, really long way. Yeah. And independent work is something that kind of, I'm looking back into high school, I was horrible at it. And then going into college, I was like, ah, and then I found things that I loved and like fell passionately in love with it. I'm just like, oh, yeah. at 3am just, Oh, uh, you know, I should probably sleep, but I'm just motivated oh, yeah, for I can, some reason. No reward. Motivated. I can work on anything independently as long as it hasn't been assigned to me. Right. <laughs> right. Oh, my gosh. No, I, I, I feel that. Um, so the, I'll tell you what, the, one of the first times, not the first time, but the, the first time I took a look at the Enigma and really looked at it was when Lucky Gunner did a video. And I tell oh, you, yeah, what, Chris Baker's they, fantastic. Chris Baker, he makes some of the best videos on things. Like it could be forty-minute video just talking about, you know, how to properly build a bullet. You know, I'm like okay, I'm sitting down, yeah. and I'm watching it, and then I realize they haven't been showing up in my feed, so now I'm watching six of his videos at once. Like he's fantastic, and I'm really glad oh, he got a chance to run your stuff. Oh yeah, um, we look at like lucky gunner is our our benchmark for for content creation like chris does such a relentlessly good job um i actually uh sarah and i ran into him at uh uh, range master tactical conference a few weeks ago nice um down in down in dallas and i mean we've known we've known chris for for 
for years. If you watch one of those, um, you know, those Manny Mansfield videos he does for SHOT Show. Yeah, I know SHOT Show, but I don't know Manny Mansfield. Oh, so, so, so Chris plays this character, Manny Mansfield, huh. um, in the Lucky Gunner videos. And it's sort of like this, you know, eighties, nineties kind of FUD guy with the okay, fishing yeah. vest and, and whatnot. And it's like a, a parody of it. And it's like, all you need is a 45 and a steel gun, you know? And, um, they, they make it look like it's all done on a VHS. They're really great. And, and if you oh, look up the man. one from shot 2020, um, he was, uh, filming our wedding. Really? Yeah. So, so yeah, Chris, Chris Baker's the man. And we, we look at everything that lucky gunner does like, okay, what are, what are, what are we going to do? That's like that quality. Yeah. I'll yeah. tell you what I've, I've uh I've looked for him like on Instagram and stuff. I don't not everybody has one, but I'm like, I just want to follow him more. You know, maybe invite him on the show one day. Never seem to find him. But I'm just like, man, it's okay. I guess I'll just have to enjoy him here on YouTube because he's just fantastic. <laughs> yeah, right. But getting getting oh, back to you guys, I, I, I know we were talking about the education piece and really trying to like almost condition the 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 market base and the audience and you know the the consumer base, people who buy Enigma products, people who are maybe willing to give it a shot, maybe like, a, Oh, I'm gonna go buy an Enigma express. Yeah. It's a little bit expensive up front, but you know, heck give it a shot. I spent, a, you know, $150 on a T-Rex arms. Uh, what do they call those? The, the sidecar thingy, my jiggers, which, you know, mm-hmm. I stopped buying T-Rex arms products a while ago just cause they're just so normal. So basic. I'm not trying to, you know, this, his products, you know, he works really hard, but at, for me, there's something more that I desire out of products and things like the Enigma. I've, I've also tried a few other things, but getting back to the point, um, geez, what, what was my point? Where was I going? We were talking about, um, lucky gunner and um, the education video piece. content and conditioning the marketing and the education yes. stuff. Yeah. C- conditioning the market. Yes. Thank you. So I noticed that, um, you guys have dropped a few products. The I call it the beanbag system, but it's it's really like a an adjusted wedge, modular wedge yes. system. Because those are surprisingly important. A lot of people don't use them. Like if you ever watch any content creators, you're not seeing them because you know they're not really aesthetically pleasing. But how how was that? How was how was it kind of creating content or creating the education for dropping something like the your wedge system which isn't something that just everybody think about thinks about so um one one of the the resources that we offer our 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 customers is that we host the filster concealment workshop uh that's a a group on facebook which has um peer support and and factory support so anybody who's got a question about you know, their unique uh, or individual concealment challenge, if they've got a question about how to set something up, if they need advice, or they want to know more about, you know, how their pants affect their concealment, or, you know, how to how to fit the gun to their particular body, you know, everything you could want to know, there's a community of people there that we've, you know, kind of like, you know, curated to to make sure that 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 happens. I think there's somewhere between like 26 and 30,000 people in that group. No, um, and <laughs> well, what, one of the reasons people we had, in a group, that's a lot of people. It's at least, it's at least 26. Um, I haven't checked lately, I mean, um, but between 20 and 30, that's, one, that's huge. It's a lot. Um, 
one of the things that we realized early on was that when we had a combination of people with five to 10 years of experience and people who were still deciding what gun they wanted to buy, mm -hmm. we needed to put these people in touch with each other, right? Because there was going to be just no way on earth that we were going to be able to um, help 20 people a day via email with our small staff learn how to conceal carry from scratch. So how big is this? Stuff, we, we, by the way? Oh, it's, it's, it's tiny. Um, there's me and Sarah and yeah. Tessa and, uh, Brian and Dakota run the workshop. Uh, they, they mod the workshop and then there is, um, Nick and Connor in our email. So that's seven people total. Yeah, that's, um, that's a nice small company. I don't think you're going to really be able to continuously touch 30,000 people in a quality way without some sort of drop off. Right. Um, so what we wanted to do is make sure that we built a community that was full of people who would represent the brand really well so that if somebody needed to get some kind of help, one, we could save a lot of time by helping them essentially in public so that anyone else who had that question would observe how the answers were given in that community and wouldn't necessarily need to be helped individually. So we help the person who needs individual help and then all the vicarious people who are witnessing that occur. When you have an email exchange with a customer, the only people who see it are you and the customer. But right. a lot of the stuff that we're telling people in the context of an email is something that we have videos about, blog posts about, resources about, stuff that we're set up to share with them. So why why have a such a narrow ROI on on sharing that? If I share yeah. it to the person who needs the help in front of an audience, we're helping that person and helping the audience too. So That's actually and then they can also genius. help each other. My my wheels are constantly spinning, so I'm like just like, how can I do that? And do I already do that? And are there ways for people to do that better? You look at guys like um, John from John Level from Warrior Post Society, who, you know, he's a fairly well known instructor. Let's just say that. And then you say he's giving some of the some of the freebies from his classes. He's giving you that online, so you can kind of get a, a nice baseline education for everybody out there. And if they really really want more, they can you know, come do uh, a group class or something like that at one of his courses. Yeah. And I'm like, that's, that's kind of the way, obviously you guys have it a little bit differently where you have, um, you know, obviously the educational stuff is out there. There's people out here making tons of content. If you go to Reddit, Oh my gosh, you so you see some, uh, uh, enigma monstrosities on Reddit, like some things that shouldn't have been, never been born. <laughs> it's like, Oh my gosh. <laughs> I don't go to Reddit. Don't do it. Um, and spe I don't. speaking of, actually, I was just there. I was posting something. We were having a conversation because I've tried, you know, you know I'm, I'm a content creator and a podcaster. You know, I'm just yeah. throwing all sorts of hats on myself. And with that, trying new products, posting places, just kind of getting a feel of what people are interested in is part of the job. And we, we went there and we posted something and they're like, oh, yeah, something, something, Enigma. And then somebody started to complain that the the page was, I guess you guys are really strict or something like that about how people post or something. And I'm like, yeah. what, are, what are they talking about? Like, I, I don't know. I thought I'd ask you right here. Guard your feelings if that's okay, a, a so, tough topic. But No, I mean, we, we, we are strict for a couple yeah. reasons. 
Um, one, it is a, just to get this out of the way, one, it's a branded page that we run. That means that as a company, we have liability associated with that, right? We can't make endorse or host recommendations that could get people hurt, fired, or arrested. Not going to happen. Yeah. As, As simple as that. If, I mean, we've already had, you know, in the past, someone posts a picture, like a selfie, like, hey, I'm at this event. And then the people who operate the security for that event, because it's at like a uh, major league sporting location, they and the police visit somebody, right? So if you're going to get hurt, fired, or arrested based on the post, or if someone follows your advice in that group and gets hurt, fired, or arrested, that could be on us. We don't want anyone to say, oh, well, you know, I went to, you know, Filster's group and it was apparently okay and normal to talk about, you know, uh, carrying a gun in a place where you could get fired or arrested. And now, like, obviously, that's a choice that everybody makes individually and we're mm-hmm. not going to tell you what to do at all. Even even if it's a risk that you're willing to take, even if it's a risk where it's like, well, you know, I'll make this, you know, dangerous modification to a a product that I don't actually know that much about and assume the risk myself. um, Your surviving family doesn't care that you took that risk, right? They can Mm -hmm. still hold us liable for certain things. And especially in today's day and age where, I mean, if somebody were to do something like use our product to get a gun into a place where it's where they could get arrested or they have intent to do harm there. If there's even the slightest hint of us endorsing that we could get into trouble and that happens all the time. You know, it's like some companies right now is getting sued for selling 60 round magazines because the YouTube video that they shared about the 60 round magazine looked like too much fun. That's what Mm. the lawsuit boils down to. Um, We, you know, uh, companies get dragged into lawsuits because, you know, uh, their gun appeared in a video game, right? Mm. Or they used a certain kind of advertising that made it, you know, it could be construed as targeting children. So there's a lot of stuff associated with those risks that we're trying to avoid because we're a tiny company. It's not like we're Daniel defense and we can just throw down a million bucks to go to court whenever we want. Like we can't, that's just not there. Um, and the other thing is the, the filster concealment workshop group is more, it's almost 30% female. There's no other group in the gun space group forum, anywhere that has that high percentage of women in it that's not also exclusively a women's space you're 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 onto something with that and i'll tell i'll tell you why not that i'm the the best metric for these things but i try to be very intentional with having women come on the show and i can never get above seven percent female listening audience i think five is really the best i've sustained so 95, five yeah. on, on the YouTube side, 1%. Yeah, it's 1%. tough. This is, so one of the things that we're, 
really sensitive to in that group is tone. I've been around this space long enough to know that guys in gun groups will talk to each other in the shittiest, most unacceptable ways in a, on a constant basis. We're dealing with people like I want, I want your aunt Judy who just bought her first gun to be able to come to the Filster concealment workshop and get good advice from people who want to help not to be talked to in some shitty way, not to be discouraged or bullied or put upon in such a way that she a doesn't want to carry a gun anymore and B hates our brand. We we're here to teach people how to comfortably conceal their gun. We're not here to teach 30 year olds how to act like adults on the internet. And if you can't act like an adult on the internet, you can go to 4chan. You can talk about whatever you want somewhere else, but we provide the Filster Concealment Workshop as part of the overall customer experience. And we want customers to have a good experience there. And if you're not willing to participate at a adult level to help other people, then you're not contributing to the experience that we want people to have. And you can just not be in the group. That's, that's fine. Um, so I understand that people are upset that we're strict about certain things. However, um, I don't think we've even banned a total of a hundred people from that group. So a fraction of a percentage of people can't act like grownups on the internet. And then we remove them from our group. Um, and I'm not super concerned about the complaints of people who can't restrain that impulse long enough to be a helpful community member. Yeah, no, you're, um, I think you're onto something with that and people on the internet, especially when you go to places like Reddit and shout out to my Reddit guys, much love to you guys. The guys that I interact with quality people from what I can tell. It's hard to tell anything past the username and a few sentences that yeah. you string together. Usually with bad grammar. I'm talking about myself. And so we're, we're, we go from that to like, man, like people got to behave. Like it's, it's, it's okay to not just be a complete idiot on a, in, in a group, especially a group that has a high percentage of ladies. Like, I think we can, I think we're okay to say like, Hey, men and women are different. Yeah, but here's the thing. A lot of them have the, the same concerns. And one of the reasons that we have really high expectations about um, behavior and character in that group mm -hmm. is because you can't do this level of education and have these conversations without, to some degree, being vulnerable about your body. People mm. who, who might not be in great shape, they might have an injury, they might be older, they might have something going on in their life that results in them not necessarily being super happy or confident in their body at any given moment are going to need to lift up their shirt and show you in a picture where their gun is so they can get help. Wow. And if you're not mature enough to participate in that conversation, then it's not the space for you. Right. How else do these people learn it? Like it used to be that, okay, so going to the range is fun and it's social, right? Going to the, going to a class is fun 
and social, right? Learning to carry a gun is something that you do by yourself in, in frustrating solitude. And that's one of the reasons that it's always been difficult, yeah. right? You're left to spend money and struggle by yourself to kind of like figure out how to carry a gun. There's never been like a, a, a really helpful community at this scale where you can learn that, learn those skills quickly. Yeah. The, the only way that's going to be helpful is that if, if people feel okay being as vulnerable as they need to in order to learn. And when someone asks for help, they're being vulnerable. They're, they, they admit that they don't know something like everybody knows how hard it is to ask for help. Right. That is difficult by itself. And then asking for help about things as they relate to your body and your anatomy and people, everybody, everybody feels insecure about their body and their anatomy period. Yeah. Right. So you're being vulnerable, asking for help. You're being vulnerable, sharing things about your, your, your physical self as is necessary to yeah. accomplish this final task. And like, you gotta, you gotta live up to that standard and you have to be, you have to do right by the people who, who are being vulnerable that way. I mean, that's just, that's just, that's just basic. And if, yeah. and if you think, and if you think that it's, if, if, if your priorities are that it's more important for you to voice whatever you're thinking in a raw and unfiltered way, than it is to help people who are asking for help. You're welcome to do that. It's just not going to happen in this particular context. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. And I, I'll tell you a super short story of how difficult it can be for people to ask for help. Uh, I recently found out that somebody who I'm not connected with directly, but indirectly with, um, she was moving furniture by herself, um, ruptured or, or, basically destroyed her pectoral muscle. Um, oh, she tore a muscle. Yeah. Ooh. She tore a muscle and died. Like, Oh, went to the hospital. They couldn't get her blood pressure. Right. She got an infection, died young lady about my age, two little kids, horrible situation. Didn't ask for help. That's, uh, you know, she was moving furniture. That's, that's sad. Moving over to her husband. You know, he put a post out saying like, Hey, I'm not one to ask for help, but we're in a bad spot. And I'm just like, dang, like I, I, sometimes I read too deeply into things and I'm like, just reading that qualifier. I'm not one to ask for help. And I knew that it pained him to even have to talk about this mainly because, you know, his oh, wife yeah. just passed like, away, but you know, it's just horrible. Yeah. And, it, and it's, it's especially hard to ask for help when you think, all these people know better than me or have more than me. And oh, it's, yeah. and I'm going, I'm going to look dumb or in like a asking, asking for help is hard because you think you're going to look inadequate by mm. doing it. Right. Don't we all struggle and, with that, that feeling and, of inadequacy? And, yeah. And the last thing, especially when you're already dealing with something which has a lot of anxiety attached to it, right? Like, I'm carrying this dangerous tool. Maybe I feel a little underprepared. I'm super self-conscious about it. Like everything involved here 
is something to be self-conscious about. Maybe there's family stigma. Right? And then you, and then you, right. You know, uh, maybe you're just like un, uncomfortable with the, with the whole proposition, right? But you think you should do it. And everyone seems more expert and they all know stuff that you don't know. They know language that you don't know. They have experiences that you don't have. And you're like, every, every question I could possibly open my mouth to ask is going to sound stupid to someone who's been doing this five minutes longer than me. I have to be able to ask for help. And the kind of environment that we're, we're trying to develop here is one in which worst case scenario, your question has already been asked and answered and a mod will immediately tag you in the post that pre-exists your question. So there's no dumb questions. There might be late questions, but we'll still mm. catch you up. Right. And it's not going to be like, I can't believe you're posting. I like the kind of things that people get banned for are, are answers that are things like, I can't believe your fat ass and ask such a dumb question. And why are you concerned about concealment anyway? You should just be carrying a gun without a permit because you know, the constitution is the law of the land and fuck what anybody else thinks. Yeah. And like, I don't, I don't believe that you should need a permit to carry a gun at all. But if you're going to call somebody an idiot for not wanting to get arrested, that's not a helpful answer. Yeah. No, that's, that's, uh, not, a, that's not a helpful answer. It creates a toxic And if we let stuff like that, right. It, like we can't have more internet gun space toxicity because it's all toxic. Um, yeah. And we can't let stuff stand that creates a pattern that someone could later identify as this goes uncontested and allowed, which means it's endorsed. Wow. Right. You know, we, we can't, we can't have, we can't have patterns of passive endorsement emerge in a, in a space that our brand manages yeah. as it relates to things that could get people hurt, fired or arrested, hurt, fired and arrested. That's, that's actually crazy that you said that we're literally just having this conversation yesterday. We're at the range filming content and, one of the guys who's with us is like, you know, I'm still kind of new to this space. And one thing I noticed is some gun guys, like they can be just like aggressive. Like you got to be careful what you post and where you post. Cause <laughs> I'm like, I'm just like, yeah, you know what? There's some places that I think twice about posting certain content to not that anything that I do is, you know, dangerous or will, will get you uh, hurt or arrested or whatever. But if you post something that maybe isn't your best take, you know, because you might film two or three takes and, you know, you don't right. post People your good time. People jump down your throat instantly. Like, man, I could shoot faster than that just out of a cold sleep. And my grandma's this and this and this. He's like, stop doing this. And it's like, oh, bro, like, I can't deal with this today. Like, I got kids. You're not right. one of them. <laughs> like, <laughs> and so that legit, there are some places where I am really slow to post and I got to kind of work up my courage a little bit to do it. And I don't think I should have to. That said, I applaud you and I commend you and your team for kind of going and doing, maybe maybe it's the right thing. Maybe it's not the easy thing or whatever, but it's the right thing and to, to manage your space and to make sure that, especially the ladies who are trying to get into this thing, because we need more women comfortable in the 2A gun space, whatever space you want to call it. And of course, you know, just doing what must be done, creating a really great educational space. That's, that is huge. Yeah. I remember and what the, you said. The, the, 
Oh, I was going to say this. The flip side of that is that all of the, the majority, the vast majority of women's exclusive spaces are toxic in the opposite direction, where if you look at a, if, if we describe the typical male gun space as being full of guys who are quick to jump down your throat about anything, mm-hmm. right? Because um, it's hard for a lot of people to disambiguate being right from being helpful. Yeah. Right. And they think that merely by telling you that they're right, they're actually helping you. Um, so there's a really blurry line between being right and helpful. <laughs> yeah. In, 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 in male gun spaces, the opposite effect occurs in women's gun spaces where nobody ever gets corrected for anything. No one ever mm. gets maybe coaxed away from solutions that are unsafe. Nobody gets held to, higher standards just doing it at all is like it's nothing but yes the whole time no i actually right? and, i know exactly what and you so mean. The, and so so that's that's unhelpful in the other way where there's no high standard no goal to work towards no safety standard it's a lot of like you go girl and a lot of just kind of like not getting anywhere with it yeah. and if and then anyone who does say Hey, you might want to consider uh, not putting your keys in your fist as a actual self-defense thing. They get DNA. They get they get bullied out for for being negative when in right. fact they're trying to be helpful, right? So right. like, it's hard to assert expertise in those spaces and in 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 a, in a healthy way because it seems a little too much like bullying. And then in male spaces, it's full of guys who want to assert their expertise in a way that is often less than helpful. You know, it's interesting because the internet's given everybody a voice and that's a great thing, but also it's like the worst thing that's ever happened to society. (laughs) We could do a little less of this. I I did want to ask you about um, carrying one as a lady and one as a bigger as a bigger guy. But since we're talking about ladies, um, let's talk about what have you learned about women? Just full stop right there. Like what? <laughs> but no, what have you learned about women in developing holsters? Not just the Enigma, because you guys do make a few other um, holster technology products that push the industry in, in a way that makes sense. Um, I know you guys have done some outside the waistband stuff, unless I'm completely mistaken. Um, what have you learned about ladies and making holsters that, that work with the female form? Um, I'll tell you, I, I've been having conversations with ladies about how to carry while pregnant. That's like a huge hurdle. Tough. I don't know. Because don't know, it's different every week. Diff- every week. And, and I know a lady who she was showing just a little bit the other day and now she's showing a lot of it. And she's like, I can't do this now. I'm like, well, have you thought about using a leg holster? I know that's not big in the dude gun spaces. They're just like, no, but I'm like, maybe that might be a thing. I don't know. Well, that's going to, that's going to get tougher and tougher because, right. Because you're gonna have less and less access to it. Um, so oh, yeah, Jeez. the primary thing that we've, that, that we've learned is that, There are far more similarities. If 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 you if you were imagine if you were to imagine the you know bell curve of female shapes and the bell curve of male shapes, they're largely overlapping, mm-hmm. right? 
you're going to, um, there, there are a lot of guys and ladies who are pretty similar shapes and sizes. You're going to offend some people. Um, well, just anatomically. Um, the, the other thing is, um, If, if you look at it as a set of principles instead of a set of bodies, then nothing changes. Hmm. Right? Such as the peaks and valleys um, principles. Right. Right. If, 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 you're, if we're looking at accomplishing concealment through the lens of employing a set of fundamental principles, then everybody's going to have peaks and valleys. Everybody's going to have a sweet spot. Everybody's going to have concealment boundaries. Everybody is going to be... Um, to some degree limited to the maximum size of pistol that they can carry without having to make major lifestyle and wardrobe accommodations. So we found that, um, and Tessa did a great video about this. It's called the concealment percentage principle. Mm -hmm. So like you wouldn't dream of buying shoes if you didn't know how to find your shoe size. Right. It would be a nightmare, especially paying more than 50 bucks. It'd for be an shoe? Oh my goodness. Exactly. Exactly. So like, why do we buy a carry gun without knowing our gun size? But you can. Um, so she's got a great video on that. It's called the uh, concealment percentage principle. And it shows you where to measure on your body and how to measure a gun or find the measurements for that gun in such a way that it'll tell you what that ratio is. And then the ratio determines whether or not you're playing this on, you know, like uh, uh, easy mode or hard mode. And what tends to happen is that if your gun takes up, say you want an appendix carry, if the size of your gun from the bottom of the magazine to the top of your slide or optic starts to push towards 40% of the front span of your body, that's where it starts to go from easy mode to hard mode. Mm -hmm. And once you're above 40%, that's when you start to need to make accommodations around the gun but generally 35 percent and under easy mode you could take a gun right now in whatever you're wearing that's 35 percent and carry it without having to do a whole lot of work or adjustment and that's going to be true for men and women um the thing that really varies fundamentally between men and women is that okay so uh concealment is accomplished when the uh, gun is carried in the envelope of space between the clothing and the body. That envelope changes, obviously, based on what you're wearing and how you're built, which is why we talk about peaks and valleys. Um, some number of women have a considerable concealment advantage based on how their bust causes a shirt to drape, such that their envelope of space between their garment and their body where their gun is, is consistently large enough to get away with just about anything. Right. Cause I've, I've seen some it. dudes who they've just got what they would call like a barrel chest and mm -hmm. you know, they, they're, they're managing what they eat. So their, their, their gut isn't expanding out tremendously. And literally they could, they could carry um, an AR 15 under their shirt and it's just fine. Like, right. They could do what they want. Like I'm, I'm jealous of, of, of the guys who don't 
grow their abdomen when they're doing all the rest of their weightlifting. I don't know how they how they shred it down, but it's like Yeah, they can they can get away with anything, but like I just grow simultaneously. <laughs> you yeah. know, like it's that like it's bulking season. You know, man. like yeah, the guy the guy at my gym who's got a, a bench press record doesn't look like a fit dude, but he can bench press more than I can deadlift, which is incredible. terrifying. But the guy's like he's he's a big motherfucker, that guy. Yeah. Um, but so yeah, um, men and women largely face nearly identical concealment challenges. Um, for instance, let's take two very different body types. Let's, let's, let's imagine a guy who's like, uh, 50 years old and, um, has a bit of a gut has has enough of a gut but he, but he hasn't bought new jeans in like 5 or 10 years so he okay. still thinks he's a, a a 36 it's just that they uh fit lower and lower on his body like and no belt required he he would right um and we'll take a a, a woman who's like 115 pounds but is wearing low rise jeans they're going to have the same concealment issue mhm that is, so your pants aren't designed around a gun. None of the pants you buy take a gun into consideration. They take, to some degree, your body into consideration. The right. belts that you buy, 90% of the design criteria for a belt is that it fits your pants. Whether or not it has anything to do with a gun is occasionally a material selection based on the belt manufacturer. It might be stiffer for outside the waistband carrier, or it might be a little more flexible for inside the waistband carrier. But there's nothing about that belt that is primarily a gun belt. It's a pants belt. Yeah. It's a pants belt, and then we change one variable about it to call a gun belt. Hmm. Yeah, you just make so, it stiffer, put, put some ratcheting tech in there to make it real cool. Right, it's a pants belt. It yeah. still has to fit inch and a half belt loops, and is shaped like the waistband of a pants. What what about this is made for a gun? Right? So they're both dealing with the same issue fundamentally. That yeah. the happenstance. So we attach a gun to our belt because it's there. Because the first human that tied their loincloth on with a piece of rope said, Look, I can put shit on this rope. And then they started putting their their flint knives on the rope and their bag with whatever they were hunting and gathering. And then at some point they put swords in it and you know, it evolved. And so now we put our guns on our belt because it's there, not because there's anything inherently principally driven about that practice. So we're letting our clothing dictate where the gun goes. What, what, what about where your clothing is on your body and how it fits? is optimized in any way for a gun. And I'm not saying that you need to dress around the gun. I'm saying that like most of the time, this starts with just dressing around your bot. So, you know, wow. the thing that I see guys run into all the time is that as their, you know, uh, midsection grows, their pants creep lower and lower and lower and they never buy new pants. So that means that their pants are now encountering their body 
more or less at the point or below the point where their uh, femur meets their pelvis, right? Hmm. Uh, which means that probably about that much of their 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 butt crack is going to be exposed at the top. Yeah, we've seen that. Um, and that when you put a gun on, especially with appendix carry, your belly's going to push the gun outward and it's going to tip out um, because it's really low on your body. And anytime that you move or bend or sit, the gun's going to drive into your body. And the I, same I happens noticed. with with women who wear low rise jeans and, and some of that just comes back to dressing around your own self first so that the, so that where your belt line lands on your body, isn't just the happenstance of what you've lucked into. And now anything that you could potentially optimize about carrying a gun is contingent on this one major variable. That's just, good or bad luck. Right. I've, well, I've noticed that people, first of all, people do need to, and I'm going to add myself to this list every once in a while, I'll pick up that shirt from high school and say, I still fit that. You know, it's, it mm -hmm. don't, I mean, it makes me look swole, but it doesn't actually fit for what I would like to do. I think people just need to buy clothes that fit. And sometimes that's a, a very pride um, damaging thing. Cause you, you realize like, man, like I should probably, you know, eat a little bit better, work out a little bit more, get on that one plan that I've been thinking about doing, but you know, it's been a few weeks and I'm tired of it. But yeah, but also on the other side, I've noticed a lot of guys who kind of are struggling to maintain the physique that they would love. A aren't going to upgrade their clothing to something that fits where they are right now. And B they're not going to carry an appendix style or, uh, um, it's, did I say appendix style? Is that how do how do we even say that? Am I tripping? <laughs> they don't carry an yeah. appendix, um, but also they basically they're not they're not brandishing their gun, but their their firearm is exposed way more often than not. And a lot of you know they're trying to hike up their pants every once in a while. And I'm not trying to like shame anybody. That's not my goal by saying these things. But really understanding like hey. Where we should probably go back to zero and kind of start at a different point than, you know, I don't want to carry an appendix because it doesn't, you know, I'm going to shoot myself in the junk or, you know, I got too much gut for that. Well, yes and no, but all, on all the other side, the clothes right. are I mean, like fitting you, right anyways. Right. So you do need a safe path from the target back to the holster in such a way mm. that you don't point the gun at your body. One of the problems with, you know, if you're developing a, a larger abdomen or if you've got like really low rise genes and you know, anything starts to angle that gun or, and holster in such a way that the muzzle starts to point towards the body, getting the gun back into the holster, like you need to be able to position that holster on your body in such a way that you do not muzzle yourself when you're putting the gun back in the holster, because we carry a gun to reduce certain risks. The thing that most people do without thinking about how risky it is, is put their gun back in the holster, mm -hmm. right? Like almost a huge, a huge percentage of firearms accidents involve either coming out of the holster or going back into the holster, mm -hmm. right? You don't want to be accidentally introducing disproportionate risk into your life with the tool that you hope to use to reduce risk actually know a guy who somehow shot himself 
coming out of the holster. And he's, he's been shooting for a while, is really big into dry fire. And I guess he prepped the trigger on the way out of the holster and popped himself before work one day. Yeah. I still have questions about exactly how he did all that, but it's not impossible. You can, no, you can get on the, you can get on the trigger really early if you're not thinking about it. If, if, if you're trying to get into that 0. 0.85, 0. 0.8, draw to first shot from a concealed holster, mm -hmm. you got to be on the trigger pretty early. But it's also important that your gear is set up in such a way that when you're coming out of the holster, the gun isn't pointed back at you at all. It needs to be coming up and away, you know, like you got to at least... you got to at least have the muzzle past your feet before you're on the trigger. And like, you know, I know that I get on the trigger early, especially when I'm shooting a gun that's got a double action trigger or a double action first shot, because the presentation involves bringing the slack out of the trigger such that the trigger breaks the instant that it's on the target. Cause I've already made my mind up to shoot. Um, so, but sometimes you watch something back in, in slow motion or you see a photograph of it and you're like, I did not realize how early I was on that trigger without thinking about it. And sometimes yeah. it'll spook you. No, I actually, you know, I'll tell you what, I was doing some rifle work the other day and I recorded myself and I, I had the safety on transitioning from point A to point B. And I was like, did I really not remove my finger from the trigger? I've been doing this for a little bit. I know to take my finger off the trigger when I'm not, you know, ready to fire. I'm just like, dang, I can't put this out there. <laughs> I was so upset. But I mean, no, the reality I mean, like, is like stuff happens and you gotta, you gotta watch that back and you gotta know. That's why we do it off the range. Yeah. yeah. I remember being in a, um, force on first, um, scenario, which involved simulation guns and we're, mm -hmm in an environment where you've got to clear the structure by yourself and you're pretty sure someone's going to be in there and they're going to shoot at you. And it takes 25% of your active mental energy to not just be on the trigger, mm -hmm. like getting your finger off the trigger when you think that at any moment you're going to like, it takes a lot of self-control to not let your anxiety and the pressure of being watched and the pressure to go fast and perform, it takes a lot of mental energy to not just kind of reassure yourself with yep. the presence of the trigger. Mm -hmm. That's tough. Just, that, triggers it, are, that takes triggers are comforting until they make strange noises and you realize that you didn't mean to make it make that right. noise. <laughs> you're like, oh, it's right. Angry. Until you're, they're, they're great until you're deaf and hurt. Right. And so there, there's yeah. that. Before, because we're, we're getting to a point where I, I do want to start wrapping, but I did want to just yeah. um, talk a little bit about some things. I, I have some questions here that I, I want to get to. Um, yeah, specifically, I know, I know earlier you talked about really not catering to just every gun on the market. Obviously, guns like the 365 and whatnot, um, they are extremely modular. To the point where it's like, oh, okay, you can put this slide on, you can do this, you can do that. Does the 365, do, do, is there like a, a more or less standardized way that those slides are, are made so that it fits? Or do you really just 
when I say 365, the SIG 365 and the SIG P320, you can basically change everything on them. Do you guys right. accommodate so you, those at all or no? The, the modularity. So, so we, we accommodate it essentially for factory SIG components. Mm-hmm. Um, once you've got an aftermarket slide and an aftermarket frame, it's not really a SIG anymore. It's got a SIG fire control unit, right? Right. But, you know, the serial number is going to say SIG. But we try to keep it within the combinations that are possible using SIG factory parts. Um, because beyond that, it's just a wild, a wild world of stuff that is too tough to keep up with. So yeah, you can get one factory control unit and between changing the slide frame and barrel, you can make it a P365. That's short frame, short slide. You can make it a P365X, which is a short slide, long frame. The XL is the long slide, long frame. And the macro is the long slide with a different frame. Hmm. Um, now, you could... I don't think you can put the short slide on the macro because the dust cover is longer because it's got that big rail on it, but you can make a 365 That's got a long slide and a short frame. You can make it with a short slide and a long frame and you can make it with a long slide and a long frame. Um, Anything in terms of holster fit that fits the longest slide option will necessarily fit the shorter one too. It's just the holster will be a little extra long. Right. Right. Um, so the holster choice isn't quite as complex as you think. The only part of the frame between the, the 365 and the X and the XL that changes is just how long a certain part of it that doesn't touch the holster is. Right. Just the length of the grip. The grip itself doesn't have anything to do with the holster. The trigger guard and the dust cover are the parts that need to fit the holster. And those are the same on all the models, except for the macro. So the, the, have you seen with some of those aftermarket um, frames, do those, do you tend to have trouble with those? If someone's like, Hey, I've got my Enigma express for the 365 XL. And now I'm getting some like Icarus, um, you know, X macro frame or whatever. And you, you, you try to put it on, do those generally fit or are you guys generally not being able to uh, accommodate the, some of those aftermarket parts? Well, the Wilson combat frames fit. Mm-hmm. Um, aluminum frames don't fit our holsters. Just because of the width or whatnot? Or uh, how... there's, there's a whole bunch of little, little differences. So um, a lot of the aftermarket frames will come with every option you could possibly want. Like mm-hmm. they'll have, they'll be like undercut in a particular way and they can't be. So like you look at, um, there's a reason that polymer 80 isn't just a identical frame as a Glock. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause if you just produced identical Glock frames, Glock would have a problem with that. Big and they'd probably give you a C and D. Right. Um, so unless you're, licensing something from SIG or it's different enough in a particular way that doesn't affect the fit, 
um, it has to be different from the SIG product enough that it keeps you out of trouble. Mm -hmm. And so once you combine that pressure with also, well, if we're going to go to the trouble to mill an aluminum frame instead of injection mold it out of plastic, it's going to be expensive. So that means that we've got to pack everything into this frame in order to get the value proposition up there. So it's going to have a texture and a beaver tail, and it's going to be undercut a couple different ways. And we're going to put a gas pedal on it immediately. And then we're going to change the rail that goes on there so that you can put more stuff on, on this tiny little gun. And, and before you know it, you run into enough variables that, it's, that it would need its own kind of custom thing just to be sure. And then on top of it, um, and we see this even with SIG factory aluminum frames. So like there's this SIG P320 and then you can get some uh, metal frame for it from the factory. Mm -hmm. There are things like um, part radiuses yeah. that are different in the molded part versus the machined part. So the machine part might have a slightly more acute edge, essentially, in a certain part of the trigger guard, which means it's going to catch in the holster a lot harder even if mm -hmm. certain parts of it measure to the same dimensions um there's going to be all sorts of little things that are different about the milled part compared to an injection molded part based on how those processes work and those affect holster fit ultimately as well yeah that's um thank you for for answering that basically more or less you got to try it <laughs> and if it doesn't work it doesn't work but yeah i mean we don't believe so generally we discourage people from using the aluminum just for our holsters i wouldn't bother trying i would seek out a, something that is specifically made for that frame which you guys do accommodate that with the enigma the original enigma. are you guys still carrying the yes. original yep okay so somebody could get a holster that fits and then you know run the og enigma and kind of get yep. similar results obviously it's not going to be the you know floodlight to but at that point, right. you, couldn't you just get a, um, an X300 and go from there if it fits? Well, one of the issues is that, so we, we built the Floodlight 2 around the guns that are designed to accommodate larger lights like the TLR1 and the X300, which typically mm -hmm. means like Glock 19 and larger sized guns. Yeah. So sort of like get, getting into the duty category. Sure, um, yeah. The problem is that the slimline pistols like the p365 they're going to be kind of shorter um this way and narrower this way so that Too certain parts the, the slide from yeah the it's just going to rattle it's going to rattle inside the floodlight even wow. even if you have found a frame that will fit an x300 none of the rest of the cavity of the holster is going to contact the slide in such a way that causes the gun to stabilize inside the holster so you kind of need at least a minimum a gun that's got glock 19 ish dimensions yeah. So, yeah. So that's, that's, it's funny how, how intricate some of the, you know, the idea of like, okay, this holster with this light, it gets complicated. Um, and now I know we already talked about, and this is one of the questions that came through, you know, dealing with, you know, filter products for larger guys and really it's understanding some of the, the concealment principles. So we won't rehash that, but was there was there anything that has been maybe going around that you've you've wanted to address or or speak to before we start to wrap up or any products that you guys are working on that you just want to just throw some hints about? I mean, you, 
say whatever you want to say. Um, we are working on new sizes of the sport belt for the Enigma family of products. We found that um, there are, are users who are smaller than our smallest size who run into some issues, and we um, are testing a extra large size because <clears throat> we we wanted to see if we could give it a shot. So one of one of the issues that that, that we run into is that people at the sort of tail tail ends of the bell curve, especially petite people and especially large people, um, we can't just categorize them as petite or large. Um, the smaller you get and the bigger you get, the more individual your issues can become, right? So mm-hmm. if we, you know, th- there are small people who are small and bony. There are small people who are not particular bo- particularly bony, and their 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 bone structure may or may not interfere with with the uh, with carrying a pistol. Um, people who start to get into the kind of like 50, 55, 60 inch waist uh, area, a lot of their issues are going to be individual in terms of like skin comfort, skin condition particular shape, how their tissue is distributed. And so we've been a little bit hesitant to um, dive too deep into offering off-the-shelf solutions for those categories of people because we've been concerned that we might not have the ability to deliver an off-the-shelf solution. We, we, we might be selling people something off-the-shelf that doesn't actually create a solution because of how often unique the issues can be within that customer segment yeah but we've been doing some testing and we're gonna we're gonna give it a try and and see if we can um increase the satisfaction for 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 those customers in those spaces yeah no that's actually something that i've wondered about the sport band specifically not necessarily catering to people who are bigger and smaller and i I suppose the thought did come to me in regards to catering to different people like couldn't you guys create like a like an enigma custom shop kind of like a sig has their custom shop and be like, oh, where? wouldn't that be almost like a subsidiary of Philster, like another, like a franchise almost? Like, hey, you guys create custom stuff. Don't bother me about it. Oh, that would that would be tough. Now, one one of the problems is that this is this is going to sound rough. Um, we give people a lot of things that they didn't ask for. Hmm. Um, sometimes the best products that you get solve a problem you knew you had, but don't solve it the way you necessarily would have solved it yourself. Um, is that for better or worse in your opinion? Generally for, for better, generally for better. Um, I used to do custom work back in the day. Yeah, I and think that's how you started. Of, Am I right? Yeah, a, a lot of the the time I spent a lot of time trying to talk people out of certain things that I knew I was. I didn't ever want to be in a situation where I was taking someone's money and not making them happy. Um, and based on. I, I would much rather have someone describe their problem to me 
and then I solve their problem from scratch rather than someone say, I want you to make this thing custom for me and then describe the custom thing. Right. Um, I, it's, I think we, I think we arrive at better answers for people when we address their problems instead of their intended solutions. Um, and I think we also put ourselves on the path to develop more products as a whole. If we start by asking what the problem is rather than asking what people say they want. Um, yeah. because I know that all the, t all the time I'll express about any, any number of things, what I think I want before I say, well, what's the actual, what's the problem? Right. And a lot of people say, oh, I want this thing, but I just want, you know, a different buckle on it or something like that. And it's like, well, why, you know, you gotta, it, it's hard, it's hard to, it's hard to not ask the why when someone expresses a, a, a need because hmm. I mean, yeah, like I've I talked myself that, out, yeah. Of, out of, yeah, I mean, I've talked myself out of a, a ton of sales by asking people why, and I'm like, well, you could do that for free with what you have right now, <laughs> you know? And yeah. And the uh, a custom model would work best with ensuring that everybody's kind of like up to speed on certain um, principles and, and, and matters of education. And then if we could commit to um, starting from a standpoint of asking a question rather than delivering a solution that I think, I think that would be better. But I, I think what we're, we would probably be more likely to do in the near term future is more custom education. Mm -hmm. um, we would love to, so ed education is half of our, our value proposition. You know, like whenever you buy a product from, from our website, we immediately email you all of the instructions for everything that was in your shopping cart. And we also email you um, a pretty comprehensive sample of all the, concealed carry educational resources and videos that we have That's so great. that, so that you've got all that stuff, even before the product arrives at your front door. Um, Would you say it's preferable and, for people to buy direct because of that? Well, the, the, the thing that we're working on uh, this year is ensuring that that customer experience is universal wherever filter products are sold. So we want to make sure that, you know, um, by the end of this year, we want to have it spun up so that if you buy our products from big techs, you get the same emails as if you bought them from us. And we already do that with the Enigma Express. So if you buy an Enigma okay. Express from, from big techs, you get the same email. But we want to do it for all the products. Okay. And we also want to set something up. Uh, so if you walk into a brick and mortar store that has Filster products, at the checkout, you can scan a QR code, enter your email address, pick out which product you buy. And then by the time they're done ringing you up and you're back in your car, you've got all of that stuff in your inbox. So yeah, that's, that's actually a great idea. And I, I could see that being extremely harder or extremely difficult to do, especially with smaller um, distribution hubs, such, you know, such as like a, a small online business. I, I could see it being really hard to be like, okay, we have 500 points of sale can we, can we get, make sure everybody's up to speed. And at, at that point it's like, can you make sure everybody's up to speed and can you QC the even, can you even QC that to make sure that Filster customers are getting the Filster experience? You know, at that point it's, it's like it's tough. A brick and mortar, <laughs> you know? but can't it's, it's, it's going to require, it's going to require a lot of automation. Um, we're, we're hoping 
we're still figuring it out, but we want to make sure that like, so the, the education is half of the product. Like we believe that, you know, getting this product without the educational resources that we offer would be the same as if, you know, someone took the screws out of the package, right? Like you, you need it to make it work its best. Um, so that's, that's the big commitment for us. But one of the things that we also want to do is, you know, in addition to all the videos that apply to people, no matter what gear they're carrying, um, we also want to continue to over deliver on the educational side of this. Like we want to yeah. be able to um, offer free online versions of the class we teach in person, the concealment tune-up class, which goes over all of this content um, in a, you know, one and a half, two hour lecture. Um, and we would love to be able to, if, if we get the resources to do it, spin up like individual appointments to help people get squared away with their gear. Yeah, I don't know how feasible that is. I don't know how fast we can do it. Yeah. Well, I was yeah, going to say the that appointments, that, that makes say. sense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of a little bit more of a pie in the sky thing. I don't know how we're going to be able to do it at scale. Um, it would be something that I feel like we would definitely offer for free because why not, you know, like we, we make our money on the product and we make our brand on, on the education. So mm -hmm. I think it's worth probably investing in, but we got to figure out how we're actually going to run that. But that would be, that would be something that I'd really like to do. You know, I was, I was just thinking, I was like, man, if the, if 2A and firearms were maybe just a little bit bigger, and I know it's, it's kind of a big industry, but it's also very niche in a, in a lot of ways. But if it was a little bit mm -hmm. more consistent and, and just acceptance in, in, on a kind of a statewide scale or states, you know, U.S., it would be kind of neat right. to go it, into. Huh? I was going to say, imagine a world in which firearms are like any other consumer good. Right. Even though, aren't they? Right. But then again, are they not? So right. you, you go and I'm, I'm just like, what if there was like a men's warehouse? You could go in. And get your measurements and people say, okay, these are my recommendations. You buy what you want to buy, right? But based on what I'm telling you right now, I can kind of fit you with something that actually will help you. Like you want to align these in you know, the beanbag system um, here, yeah. here, here. And I think if we just do this right, you're going to have a great time. Come back and see me if you have any issues, you know, like just a really like concierge service. But I don't even know if that's possible because it's like how much goes into brick and mortars? Maybe you could have a guy stationed at some of the bigger box stop stores and it's like, what do you pay that guy extra? I don't know. Like I'm not used to actually implement these things, but well, it's, it's yeah, yeah. there's, there's some tough stuff there because when you're talking about a brick and mortar gun shop, almost none of the margin is in the guns. It's all in the accessories. Mm -hmm. Right. So you've got a lot of inventory overhead that's tied up in lower margin items. So you want to be able to make a fast, sale on the profitable accessories you know that's that's why you see a lot of impulse buy grade holsters at brick and mortar stores right because my heart you know you, right you're you're, you're, you're going to sell a gun for you know five hundred dollars you might make a few bucks on it but you're going to make the same margin the same dollar amount of profit on a $40 holster as you are on a gun, 
<laughs> no, <laughs> you know, you're absolutely like, right. That's tough. So, so the you've got a, a, an incentive to not spend a lot of time on selling people the correct holster. Now, what what we're hoping to be able to do is bring that kind of concierge capability to the gun shops who work with us. One of the things mm -hmm. that we want to roll out in addition to the kind of, you know, have everything you need to learn about your Folster product before you get back in the car, you know, before you get home from the store is find, you know, identify the dealers in our network who are like at the top of the game for education. Yeah. Who've got a range, they run classes, they're they've already who already have a lot of um buy-in with our brand who love teaching the product who are using our resources already to teach people and then train them up on how to help someone immediately in person get fit get fitted for this help them pick the right size how to right size their gun how to set up their enigma so that they are leaving the gun shop having skipped the first two years of trial and error of trying to figure out how to carry a gun like this is what you've got it's the best you're going to be able to get ever. It's going to live with you through all of your training. You can start shooting USPSA with this. You can take it to jujitsu. You can live your whole life with this. You can take it to every single class that you want to take it to. You'll never need to upgrade it. All you have to do is get used to it. And, and we'd love people to be able to start their first day with a gun like that mm -hmm. and, and do away with well, I bought 40 different holsters and, and five different guns my first year of trying to figure out how to conceal carry. There's no reason for that. Yeah. I mean, we all, we all got a box full of holsters somewhere, right? Yeah. I try not to look at mine. I, I really try to just stick to what I have. Like I have um, one of my go-tos is classic Gen 4 Glock 19 in my mm -hmm. Pro Series holster. With the, are the, are the, with the, are the Gen 4s classic now? It's like, hey, we're getting old, man. <laughs> Yo, my my first pistol was a Gen Two Glock nineteen. <laughs> Golly, yeah. Uh, I'm getting old. It didn't even so, have a rail. <laughs> oh my gosh! Don't say that. Don't say that. Don't, don't say that. Um. So that we, I feel like we've talked about so much, and really, if we kind of keep spinning. We could probably talk for another hour or two on just some of the intricacies of business and really like the, the next phase and all the stuff, but I'm sure some of that is kind oh, of I've, behind the scenes. Next, next time we, we can have the conversation about how um, time travel is real and all you need to do is shop in the firearm space and then shop for any other consumer good and you can time travel 20 years. <laughs> Dang. Dang. <laughs> Like, oh, do, you, do, 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 do you remember when, when you could buy um, uh, DVDs and like when Amazon was just like books? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Do you remember that website? Yeah. Amaz how, how Amazon many, was books. How many, how many, how many am, ammo websites look exactly like 1998 Amazon? It's, it's actually horrifying. It's actually horrifying. I was just talking to a, a buddy who, who runs an online space and, I was like, hey, we should do this, this, and this. And it was just kind of like futuristic stuff that really isn't futuristic. It's on a couple different websites. But right. reality is some of the stuff's expensive. What is the ROI? And aren't a lot of the guys buying stuff 
well, first of all, there's a lot of guys who don't think you can buy ammo online. Um, but a lot of the stuff that you can buy, it's just like, or a lot of the guys buying it, they don't necessarily have a flair for the creative or an appreciation for it. At least in my mind, maybe the, maybe there's a new generation of people out there who are appreciating some of the some of the extra work that goes into building a website. I mean, we'll talk about your website for a second. You go on there, it's clean, clean lines, great UI, great design. And I'm not saying that just to you know gas you up, but it is it's clean, um, especially kind of like logo placement. I was I was looking for a PNG logo. I was just gonna pull it from the site, and I was like, where is it? Where's the original logo? Which you know, that's a question for another day. But I was like, okay, this one says Enigma. It's like really nice, clean, bold design. I'm just like, ah, okay. And then I went to the, I think it was the About Us. And you had already updated it to have the um, the Floodlight 2 just sitting real pretty. When the, 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 the product photography alone, super clean. Yeah. Super That's clean. That's Sarah. Of course. Just unbelievable photography. Tell her to call me. Like we need to have conversations yeah. about these things just cause I'm a, I'm a, I'm a geek and a nerd about these things. So oh, for sure. No, but I mean, real, re- realistically you look at websites who, you know, they care frankly about the presentation, about letting people know, like, this is something you get excited for. Like you go to Apple's website, boom, like things start folding out on you. You go here. Oh, it's, it's like, oh. that website makes me want to buy things I already have. <laughs> you're not lying though like it's like, I like I've, 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 i'm like i don't need a second iphone why am i even looking at this page right and you're like oh, but the but specs. there's something like <laughs> but like the the yeah there's just pulls you in yeah i mean a, a lot of a lot of firearms related websites are essentially made for people who are already going to buy the thing anyways Right. And it's not like, it's not, it checks the boxes of here's a picture of the thing. Here's the price of the thing. Here's the features of the thing. And here's some verbiage from the press release about the thing. Yeah. Do you want to buy it or not? Right. And, and it doesn't really, that's, 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 we're, we're not going to do this conversation for three hours. We have to bail on this part about like, yes. um, but uh, I, th- I think a lot of, I'll, I'll wrap it up by saying, I think one of the ways that this becomes normalized, like every other consumer good is that if we catch it up, it's like, we don't need, to, none of us need to reinvent the wheel. Mm-hmm. All these other villages have wheels in them. We just need to go get the wheels that they already have and bring them into the gun village and go, Hey, you guys like wheels. And it's like, look at all the things we shop for outside of the gun space that have incredible user experiences, amazing websites that teach you everything about the thing. They, Mm -hmm. you know, like, man, go, go to like, go to the Airstream website, you know, like, uh, go to, I mean, go to a consumer electronics website. I mean, mm-hmm. there are gr- like, not just the products, but the shopping experience is like modern, contemporary, exciting, makes you want to buy the thing, explains it to you, teaches it to you. Like one of the things that we struggled with, with our website for so long was making sure that like, we've got weird, complicated products. How do we present them to the person in such a way that we're not 
giving them a wall of text about the thing, but their questions about it are getting answered wow. as they learn to have the question. Does it unfold? And that's, that's tough. Yeah. Like, right. Does it tell them the story about the product? Does it answer their questions in a predictable way? You know, like what information do we put before the product comparison or after the product comparison? Is the product comparison chart going to make sense here? Are this, are the features going to make sense here? Or are they going to make sense earlier in the page? Yeah. What do they, what prerequisites do they need to have in order to encounter this information and understand it? And like, we used to just get like, I mean, up until we changed the website in at the beginning of March, we had a website that had a ton of information on it and we would get questions constantly that were answered on our website because we weren't happen. delivering the information. Yeah. Right. I mean, like, I understand, like we can, it's, it's, it's tough, but especially when you're dealing with products that people don't expect, mm-hmm. um, it's hard to anticipate what kind of questions they're going to have and, and at what point those questions are going to arise. But like, we could talk about how Amazon does it and how much money people spend on that website, really not knowing that much about product A or B because they have their frequently asked questions. They have user reviews listed that will tell you everything you need to know, much less the breakdowns and even some, some influencer videos that they link directly to it. Enough you know, pictures and videos on it. It's like you don't – obviously with a dedicated product brand website, it's a little different than a marketplace. But yeah, I mean – we could keep going, but I'll, I'll say this and then we'll, we'll kind of, we'll hard stop the, I've noticed being in the influencer space, there's a lot of guys who are amazing digital creators and can actually be a huge asset to brands. And they continue to use guys who either don't really know what they're doing or don't understand what, what guys who enjoy pretty things on the internet really want, you know? So, right. I, I do think that there is a lot of room to grow, but also up to some of these marketing managers who have the marketing dollars to spend on, you know, hiring the best talent, getting contractors in there who actually care, and then going from there to really just go in and create pretty things and connect yeah. with people on an emotional level. Because that's what moves products is is the emotion, the pain of having the problem and the the satisfaction of fixing it with just a quick Absolutely. You know, few purchases. You know, one, two, three, we're done. Yeah, and like the thing is, um, when it comes to, to customer decision making, the opposite of certainty isn't uncertainty; it's anxiety, mm. right? And everything that we do in this space, in the self defense space, is geared towards alleviating anxiety. You shouldn't be anxious about your purchase, right? You should be confident in your purchase because you can't have anxiety about about a purchase of a thing that is when the purchase itself is occurring to help you reduce anxiety about the world at large. Right. And I I think that's part of why Surefire can sell their stuff for $100 more than the competition is because when you you buy a Surefire light, there is no anxiety. You know it's going to work. It's going to work well. Right. Cops and military use this all the time. They love it. You should love it too. You're not you're not buying circuitry in a lens. You're buying confidence, Oof. right? Like Stop it. When, when 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 people when people ask like why does your product cost so much? It's just nylon and plastic. It's like well, ask our happy customers how they feel when they use it, and that will tell you what they're actually buying. Right? John. Like that's that's products. I love that. That's that's amazing. 
let's go ahead and let's go ahead and uh, cut it here. How can people find you and the products and and what people should be looking at going forward? You can first of all, I, whether or not you buy anything from us at all, check us out on YouTube. We're just at Filster P H L S T E R. All of our educational resources are applicable to everybody, no matter what gear you have. Before you spend another dollar on your gear, check out our videos and start to experiment with what you have um, using the principles that, 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 that we'll teach you about on our, on our YouTube channel. So that way you can make informed choices about A, whether or not you even need new gear, or B, what features that gear needs to have to support your concealment goals. Uh, for your next purchase. You can also check us out at filsterholsters.com and you can just, you know, find us on Facebook, Instagram as Filster as well. And uh, make sure to check us out at the Filster Concealment Workshop if you want to work uh, or learn more or kind of see what everybody else is up to. Just make sure that you answer the uh, membership questions and read the rules when you join the group. There you go. I mean, the concealment workshop with 25 plus, almost 30,000 strong. I mean, there's no reason not to be there, especially as somebody who cares about concealment. But guys, thank you so much for joining. And thank you so much for listening. If you are not on the on the YouTube channel subscribed, please do so. The best way you can support the show, you know, you can join us on Patreon. But I'll but support the people who come on the show, like Filster, uh, like some of the other companies and brands and, and influencers and, you know, wh- whoever. Just go support those people. Let them know that you care about what we do. And, of course, tell your friends. So, I mean, what else is there to say? Thank you so much for joining us, guys. I'm just oh, thank you for having get a chance to do that. And until next time, keep it costly. <laughs>